0: You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, church. Good prayer, John. Man, that was like my whole sermon. It really was. I was like, man, as you were going through that, I was like, that's everything I'm about to talk about, so... I'm just going to pray for us and we're going to go home. <laughs> uh, we wrap up our series in the Ten Commandments uh, today, as, uh, as John was, was praying there. And um, I first want to just thank the, uh, the different guys that uh, spoke during this series. Um, I know uh, Nate uh, got up here one Sunday, uh, Doug uh, and CJ, which are not a part of the normal rotation, uh, but also, you know, Chris and Royce. Uh, you guys know this year we've had nine different communicators at Red Sea, which is pretty amazing for a church of, you know, our size. Uh, and it's a big part of our philosophy of ministry is to, uh, to to raise up, to train up, and we do that through practicing. Uh, so I really appreciate these guys uh, getting up here and uh, opening up the book of Exodus and walking through this Ten Commandments series. Uh, Nate, when you spoke a couple of weeks ago, you kind of joked around that you got, thou shalt not commit adultery, and, and you said, you know, you're not a, a uh, expert on adultery by any means, which we all really appreciated. <laughs> Today, I get to speak about something I do feel I'm an expert at, which is coveting. It just comes very naturally uh, to me. Uh, and this commandment, particularly, thou shalt not covet, has just been very timely for me And uh, where I'm at right now, uh, kind of in my spiritual journey, but also just in some things that are happening uh, in my life. Uh, so I thought the best way just to start off is us uh, reading uh, the text together. It's going to be Exodus 21. So it's up here on the screen if you'd like to, uh, to follow along. We had a lot of scripture we're going to be looking at today as, because this idea of not coveting and, and the way we look at money is a big deal to God, and He talks a lot about it throughout the Bible. Uh, so let's just start in Exodus 21. It says, you shall not covet, and it gets really specific, your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servants, or his female servants, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The reason that this particular commandment has really hit home for me is because I just spent some time at home. As you guys know, we had a a nice long vacation that we really appreciated you guys sending us on. Uh, but something that I really struggle with when I go back home is, uh, is just coveting, uh, or, or maybe being, being content with where I am. Uh, as I was reading through that, I thought, you know, the 10th the commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Yet when I was on vacation, man, some of those homes in the South... Because the the cost of living is so low, you can have a big, nice home with a big yard. And so I I just really struggled struggled with coveting my brother's home. He has a big home in a nice neighborhood where children like wander around the streets all day long and go into each other's houses, you know, this unheard of concept here, at least in my, where I live. I coveted my uncle's beach house. He's got this beautiful home on the beach. You can see the ocean. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. I wonder if I sold my home if I moved back here. And I remember like getting out my phone and like looking at the cost of beach houses. You know, if I sold my home, like we could scrape by and have a beach house. 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. We spend a lot of time at the beach when we go home. And it is hard when you spend a lot of time at the beach, not coveting beach bodies, right? You see them you see very tan, very in-shape people. And so you begin to, to covet. Uh, I, it's hard for me. I thought back to like my college years when me and my wife were laying on the beach and we were like those great in-shape couples. And now we're a shape. Um, <laughs> but it's hard. You start to covet those things. The 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff, you know, ox and donkey. And so I, you know, I, I, I thought about just... The, the, because the house of cost, of that cost of housing is so low in the South, there's lots of nice vehicles. You know, that's one of the things that just strikes me. I don't know why when I go back, everybody seems to have like a nice new car of their dreams. And I covet that. I struggle with coveting uh, all the churches that we showed up at because people were just flocking into them. It's such a big part of the culture. It's, you really don't have to try that hard in the South and people will just pack in there. I struggle with wanting to live close to my extended family and the the benefits that come along with, you know, family and and time with them. So that's my sin, right? Uh, And yours may look differently. Uh, Coveting uh, may be you saying, why can't I have that flexibility of schedule? Uh, Why don't I get to be the boss? Uh, I wish my kids were like that. I wish my husband was that affectionate. I wish my wife had that body. I don't know what it looks like, but I think all of us struggle with this. You know, when I started actually thinking about coveting and and the Ten Commandments, uh, when you violate any of the Ten Commandments, it's typically a form of coveting, or it can be a form of coveting. I think we lie because we covet to be seen differently in other people's eyes. I think we covet when we steal because we want something that somebody else has. We covet when we commit adultery or look at pornography because we desire a different spouse or a different partner to look a different way. James, the book of James says murder is a form of coveting because you do not get what you want, so you take it. We covet when we dishonor our parents because we want to be the boss. We covet when we don't keep the Sabbath holy because we want to spend our time like all those other people that aren't having to spend their time at church. We covet when we blaspheme because we use the name of the Lord for our own desires and our own purposes. Coveting is worship. It's a form of idolatry because it's placing something that we desire above God. You know, it's no coincidence that uh, this is how God chooses to end the Ten Commandments. He starts with, you shall have no other gods before me. And he ends with, do not covet. Because you cannot covet and love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You cannot covet and love your neighbor as yourself. See, coveting, it's, it's so much more than wanting what somebody else has. It's believing that if you had it, you would finally be happy. You know, coveting is not just desiring. God created us to desire. Coveting goes so much farther. It says, why did you get that? I wanted it. I'm angry because you're happy, and I'd be happier if we could trade places. Coveting says, I cannot live without, fill in the blank, person, place, possession. Look at what the Bible says about coveting in Romans 1, 28 through 31. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought be done, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These are those who do not inherit the kingdom of God. And covetous, coveting is right there in the middle of all these other, what we would consider pretty grievous sins. Yet when we think about it, I don't think coveting is really that big of a deal to us. At least we don't treat it like that. Partly because when you think about all the other relational commandments toward the end of the Ten Commandments, when you think about lying, murder, committing adultery, stealing, our culture agrees that these are all bad things. For the most part, you're not not prized for doing these things. But yet coveting is a goal. Keeping up with the Joneses is something that we're all, we live inside this reality where that is something that's promoted. I think also coveting is, is, is such a, a, a difficult sin for us, just like it was Israel, is because as Americans, we are very wealthy. And if you're very wealthy, that means that you can pretty much have whatever you want. We have a great capacity to violate the 10th commandment because we have a great capacity to purchase lots of things. I didn't realize this until when we started taking these trips to Uganda. And I remember this first time I was there, we we went to this really big outdoor market and there was about six of us with our guide. And we we turned the corner and there's this long market and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Ugandans all packed into this outdoor market. And I don't know if you guys remember this, when we rounded that corner, everybody stopped what they were doing and just turned and looked at us, right? I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of people. They stopped talking and they all turned and looked. And I leaned over to Emma, our guide, and I was like, Emma, what are they thinking when they see us? And he said, money. Those people have money. And we do. And because we are so blessed, we have, our, our money just becomes our God. What's interesting is the people of Israel were going to have this exact same problem. If you guys remember, the the blessing that God gave Abraham was not only that he was going to make a great nation and that he was going to make his name great, but he was actually going to have a great physical inheritance. God was going to be very generous to them. The nation of Israel plundered Egypt when they left, right? They've got gold and diamonds and jewels. They're going to the land of milk and honey. Right, It sounds like a pretty prosperous place. And God's saying, I'm taking you guys to this place, and you're going to be my people, and you're going to be very blessed because of that, but I don't want you to worship that stuff. But if you know the story of the Bible, it, they constantly do. You know? So within a few chapters, they're going to make a golden calf, and they're going to start worshiping it. Their kings are constantly going to be going to other things aside from God. When you think about one of their most well-known kings of ancient Israel, King David, before he committed the sin of murder, it was because he coveted Bathsheba. He wanted something that he didn't have. He wanted more than what God had given him. So then as I was thinking through this, how do we know the difference between like coveting and just desiring things? Because desiring is good. And I came across uh, Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Ten Commandments. He came up with these four things, and he calls them just practical signs of coveting. And I thought it'd be helpful for us to walk through them and just to process through them to know kind of where you're at on this journey with coveting. I'm going to put them up here on the screen, and he, he says, here's some practical signs of coveting. Number one, you might be coveting if you've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. So kind of let that sink in for a second. If you've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. When, when I thought about that, I was like, check that one off because I'm good. I don't hurt other people to get what I want. But then, you know, the more I started thinking about it, uh, I don't really care about where my stuff comes from. I don't really care about who makes the stuff and the conditions in which it was made. I just don't think about that a whole lot. Or how about do we care about where our stuff goes when we're done with it? It's got to go somewhere. Do we care who suffers for the pleasures of life that the wealthiest nation in the world gets to enjoy? Man, when I started thinking about that, I was like, oh man, that's a whole nother level of of how deep coveting goes inside of my heart and the things that I want. Number two, you might be coveting if you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more. Wow. Wow. How much time do you spend daydreaming about stuff? Right? Do you watch HGTV and just like salivate? Hey, just stepped on somebody's idol. (laughs) You know what I found myself doing when I was on vacation? Dreaming about what it would be like to live in these homes. Like dream, it's crazy. I'm, I'm on vacation and I'm dreaming about another life that I could have. Right? There's there's darkness in here, right? Number three, you might be coveting if you're unwilling to give up what you already have. Ooh, man. Is there anything in your life that you couldn't live without? Do you let other people use your stuff? Are you like that child that grabs all the toys and piles them into the corner and then hoards over them so none of the other children can touch your stuff? I think we live like that. Number four, you might be coveting if you're frequently grumbling about your house, your spouse, the quality and quantity of your possessions, and the general state of your life. Wow. Luke 12, 15, look what Jesus says here. I love this language. He says, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let us not forget, our Savior was a homeless man who did not amass anything in life. To think that we are entitled to stuff misses who Jesus was and what he represented. Did you guys know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? Money was the one topic that Jesus talked the most about outside of the kingdom of God. Why would he do that? Because he knows how prone we are to worship this stuff and these things. He understood the Ten Commandments and why God gave them to his people because you just can't love God and money. So then knowing this, knowing the state of our heart, knowing this culture that we live in, our tendency to want to worship stuff, what can we do? And, and I think the, the cure to coveting is contentment. But contentment doesn't come naturally to us. So then contentment is something that has to be practiced. It's something that has to be learned. And so I was thinking through this. I came up with just three ways to learn to be content. And I think the first way of learning to be content is by practicing thankfulness. And think about your schedule. How much time do you spend practicing thankfulness? Just stopping and speaking the gospel into your own heart that if God owns everything, then he's entrusted you to something. And how are you doing with that something that you have? I think as we thank God for our jobs and our spouses and our homes and our children and our health and our money, as we thank God, we then start to become more satisfied. It's not like you're satisfied so you thank God. It's an act, it's an act of worship that we have to do over and over again. What we're gonna do at the end of the service today is just spend some time in thanksgiving, stopping and and speaking the gospel to our own heart and saying, thank you, God, for these things that you've given to me and entrusted to me. And I I wonder if sometimes God is withholding stuff out of generosity because he knows that we'll just worship the stuff. And so then maybe like as we stop and just thank God, then maybe we'll get the stuff. But it'll come in its proper place. Second thing that I was thinking through here is, uh, oh, and I had Colossians 3, 2 up there I wanted to show. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I was thinking through this activity of just like starting off the day in thanksgiving. Uh, that's something I've tried to work into my morning routine. I get my coffee and I sit down and I, and I just spend some time saying, Thank you, God. Thank you for another day to live and breathe. Thank you for these blessings that I have. And starting the day in a proper perspective, setting my mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. Because you know what I want to do when I get up in the morning? I want to get out my phone and start flipping through my emails, and I want to go to Facebook. And, you know, I want to I get my day going, think about all the things I need to do. So it's about putting life in its proper perspective. The second thing I was thinking about here, practicing contentment, is, uh, is through just practicing satisfaction. That's also something that I don't think we spend a whole lot of time practicing. So how do you practice satisfaction? One way is like, don't buy that thing, right? Or, or maybe this, maybe just asking God if he wants you to even have that thing. I wonder before we make purchases, do we stop and say, how is this thing going to help me accomplish the plan that God has for my life? And will this thing help me accomplish the plan that God has for my life? Or is it going to hinder me from doing this thing? It's kind of ironic this week. You're smiling. We went and looked at new trucks, okay? Because I, I like I want a truck. I've wanted a truck for such a long time. I drive a minivan, people. And it was okay at first. I've noticed the minivans are growing around here at Red Sea. Some of us chose minivans. Others, others did not. They were chosen for us. And so I went to this car lot. And I was like looking around at nice black Toyota Tacomas. And then I was like, is this going to, and me and Jamie afterwards, like is this going to help us accomplish the plan that God has set forward for us? No, it's not. I'm probably going to hinder it. And we started talking about all the things that we couldn't do having that car payment. And this is the third thing. Oh, in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, just like stopping and saying, God, I'm going to be satisfied in you right now. And and there's these other things out there that I may want, but I'm going to wait for you to, to give it to me. And you ever know how that may come when you just stop and are, and are satisfied with what God's given you? And I think when it does come, it comes in his timing and it comes in his way and then you can be grateful for it and not be an idol. Satisfaction is telling God he's enough. We sing about that a lot, but we need to practice living it. And then the third thing I was thinking about Uh, Learning contentment uh, is by being generous, right? Practicing generosity. Give away as much of your time, talent, and resources as you possibly can. I got to hang out with a a buddy of mine on my vacation. Uh, and, And we've been gone for about 15 years. Me and him were like poor youth ministers in a church together, just like scraping by back in the day. And uh, and so we got together and had dinner. And he's become very wealthy since we left. He's he opened up his own business. Uh, he owns a lot of property now, and he is he's probably the richest guy that I that I that I know. And so we were sitting there and we were having uh, uh, eat, eating a meal, and uh, and we were talking about this idea of like of, of having so much money and like what's it like, man. And, uh, and he said he finally understands why it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He was like, this stuff and having anything you want can so easily become God. And he said, the only thing I know to do is give away as much as I possibly can. And so he is just giving away money like crazy. You know? Because he knows how, how easy it can become God in his life. And, you know, we think about that story of the rich man not entering, uh, you know, entering the kingdom of heaven. We think about, you know, the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffetts. But it's us. This is the richest people who have ever lived on the planet in human history. Right now, the United States of America. So let's be generous. Cut the feet out from underneath The idol of money. Just cut mammon down by giving your money away. If you don't want to give it to churches because you don't trust them, fine. Give them to somebody else. But give it away. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus talking to his disciples is like, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dang. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, Where's my heart? Whatever you spend your time, your money, and your abilities on, that's where your heart is. And that's where your God is. As I was thinking through this, I started wondering if if Jesus was ever actually tempted with coveting, right? Was it something that he really dealt with? And uh, and I started thinking about the, the temptation in the wilderness. Right, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he spent 40 days in prayer and fasting, and Satan comes to him in the wilderness. And I started thinking about it. And what what he was tempted with was actually forms of coveting. So think about the first one. The first temptation that Jesus... um, The first temptation was for Jesus to covet different circumstances than he was in. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. and, And Satan said, hey, just turn this stone into bread. Right? It was desiring different circumstances where things would be easier. That was the temptation. Then Satan comes to him and tells Jesus, well, throw yourself off the top of the temple and the angels are going to rescue you. The temptation was to have the power that God had to control the angels. That's what Satan tempted him with. And then the third one is the most obvious where uh, Satan takes Jesus up to a really high place. And he says, see all the kingdoms of the earth, if you'll just bow down to me, you can have all of this stuff. So his temptation was change your circumstances, have power and have possessions. Those are the three things that Satan wants. And then I started thinking about it. How much of my time and energy is spent toward these three things? Changing my circumstances, having control and having stuff. How much time do we spend dreaming the way that Satan dreams. Oh, man. See, Jesus knows what it is to be tempted to covet. Yet not only did he not covet, he went on to model contentment under horrible circumstances of, of, of not, not, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And I want, to live, I want to live like that. Not, not my will, Father, but yours be done. This is what Paul's getting at when he's writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And he's kind of using Jesus as his model of contentment for the Christian life. He says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he didn't do that when he was with, with when Satan tempted him, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Billy's going to come back up and we're going to do what that verse just said. We're going to worship the name that is above every name because I think the only way to not live a life of worshiping mammon is to just worship something greater and something better. So I love that you guys have come here today because the Sabbath and gathering is is meant to remind us that there's just something better out there, right? Right? There's a a better God, and these earthly things will never satisfy, and we can't take them with us. So that's why we sing these songs at the end of every sermon, is to put us in a a right perspective to who God is. So we're going to spend some time doing that now, of of praising Jesus. But I also want you guys to do something before you do that. Billy's just going to play, and we're just going to spend some time thanking God. So if you're a journaler, get out your piece of paper and write down all the things that you have to be thankful for and put them in a place where you're going to remember it. If not, just just sit and, and, and be thankful and, and embrace that reality that if God has control over everything, then I have an opportunity to worship by just resting and just being still and, and being thankful. So let's do that now as a church together. Pray with me, then let's be thankful and let's worship. Uh, Father, uh, I thank thank you that thousands of years ago you wrote this into your law. Uh, You being our creator and us being the creation, you knew that we would worship created things over you. And so you had this as a part of your plan for us to, to, to not covet. To not covet what other people have, but to, to just be satisfied. And Father, I think that was one of the things that was supposed to make the nation of Israel different than all the other nations of the world. Is that they didn't turn to stuff to give them worth. But they turned to you. And, and then when we look at the way that Jesus lived. We see the exact same thing of his life. And, and I look at his commands and over and over again. He, he knew that you can only have one God in your life. And so we come to this place once again, Father, where we just realize that we've spent a lot of time worshiping other things. And so we just want to lay those things down at your feet. As we, as we come and we receive communion right now, Father, wash us with grace. Let us remember that, that what you did for us is, is so much better than anything our jobs could ever do for us or anything that our money or our, our families could ever do for us. Let us, let us taste and see that the Lord is good. And having tasted, we want to be a people that go back out and live differently in this world. But we need you, Father. We need you to do that. Change us, Father. We worship you now. We worship the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.